You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Getting started into today's message, um, I, I, it, it, when I was coming up and, and God was giving me and I was reading the scripture and just kind of talking about what we should speak on uh, today, um, he gave me this story that actually happened last week. And one of my jobs here on campus uh, on a weekly basis and on a daily basis here is that I work for the college and I teach some sports management classes and I also uh, coach the men's basketball team and the head men's basketball coach. So I've got some of my guys up here in the balcony and, um, and so uh, guys, I know it's, 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 the story's going to end okay, so don't, don't let me roast you too much. So uh, we, are, we played a game last—by the way, we won our game last, uh, last night, and we're 6-0 and in conference, so that's pretty impressive. The guys are great, and God's doing a lot of things among the team. So uh, we actually played last Saturday, and we traveled down to Shreveport, um, got our new bus out there. Dad's the bus driver, and he drove us down to Shreveport, and it was the night that it snowed, so I'm you know, glad, obviously, we got back safely. So we played the game, and we played a team called Centenary there, and we got done with the game, and we get on the bus, and um, when I get on the bus, I'm, and the guys get on the bus, I'm like, man, these guys stink. I mean, they, they don't stink. They stink. That's a difference. The difference between stink and stink. And I was like, good night. I was like, I don't know, man. I mean, I know normally when you get, when you sit around uh, like a stench, you normally get used to it, you know? I mean, it's kind of like, I wasn't getting used to it. All right, it's a three and a half hour drive home. We stopped in eight. We, I mean, like, man, this is, this is tough. This is, this, is, this is a pretty pretty intense thing here. And so uh, we're, we, we get home and we unpack and I get my bag out and I, I, I bring, um, bring my bag to the truck and I get in my truck. It's late at night. It's freezing, snowing outside. I get all the snow off my windshield, get inside the truck and, okay. Is the molecules of those guys stank in my nostrils? Like, it's stuck in my nose hair and my mustache. Like, how is this possible? And then it hit me. <clears throat> oh, my sheesh. These guys had me sweating. If you've ever watched me coach, I'm running up and down the court more than they are. I mean, I'm jumping up and down. They, they make fun of me all the time. And when I call timeouts, I'm halfway on the court, you know. And I had, I had sweat so much. And... And, uh, and, and worked so hard out there on the court, you know, that I had sweat and I stunk really bad. <laughs> I've this whole time thought that it was the guys and it was in all reality myself. And you know what the truth is? It reminds me of the story in the Bible when David uh, and Nathan were having a conversation. The prophet Nathan goes to David and, and Nathan says, David, I got to tell you this story. He says, there was a man who had a lot of sheep, a lot of sheep. I mean, he had, he had a lot of them. I mean, plenty of them. He was a great shepherd, and he, he, his, his, uh, he was not in need of any sheep. And then he said there was another guy who had one, had one sheep. And the Bible literally says that he treated that sheep like his daughter. I mean, this was, he, he, he loved the sheep. It was, it was the only sheep he had. The lamb, I should say. And so he, there's a traveler that comes through and the, the rich farmer, the rich shepherd, he, he says, man, I don't want to give this traveler anything from my fold. So I'm just going to go take the one sheep, the one lamb that, 
that guy has, and I'm going to give it to the traveler. And David turns to Nathan and says, I can't believe this. He says, this man needs to be put to death. That is unacceptable. I mean, Nathan, we better do something about this. And you can kind of, if you read the dialogue, you can kind of see David getting upset. Really, really upset about this shepherd who took from the man's sheep. And Nathan then says the infamous words. He says, David, you are the man. And David says, no, I haven't taken any sheep. He said, no, 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 no. He said, David, when you had, when you had that adultery, when you committed adultery with Bathsheba, he said, you took something that wasn't yours. He said, when Uriah the Hittite, when he came and he fought for you, and, and then when to cover it up, you, you decided to kill and murder Uriah, he said, you are the man. And if you read along a little further, it says that David, he was very repentant. He was remorseful. He was sad because he realized where he was. And there's a theme throughout Scripture that talks about this. Talks about this thought of everybody wanting to look at other people and, wow, I can't believe how bad and how stinky everybody else is. When in reality, the truth is we need to we need to smell ourselves. We need to look at ourselves. There's a series that's going on right now. I'm just the fourth part in the series. There's actually five total parts. And the first three messages of the series have been preached by amazing, amazing, uh, our amazing pastors here at, at Gospel Light. And I just want to say I'm super thankful to work alongside these men. Um, we hit, we're blessed with a great staff, great pastor, uh, pastoral team. And, and dad, our pastor, Eric Capace, the lead pastor, in the first week, he said this. We believe that God is calling gospelite to serious prayer because only believing, repenting prayer can hold back judgment and sin and release the cleansing power of the Lord Jesus Christ upon our personal lives, our church, our city, our state, and our nation. Now, the thing that really caught my eye, I like to keep the, the worship guides in my, in my backpack, at least for a little bit. I don't, I mean, obviously I don't keep them for, you know, ever, but I keep them in my backpack for a little bit because I like to look back and see some of the things that are said and kind of remind myself about the previous sermons. And I circled that statement and it was so powerful because he, 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 he used the fact that it was first the personal life. See, we're never going to experience revival in our nation and experience revival in our state and in our city and our church without experiencing it in our personal lives. We've got to look in the mirror. The second week, Scott Mercer, our missions pastor, he's, he does a great job of teaching scripture. And I love being able to listen to Scott teach the Bible. And, and God's gifted him with that. And Scott said this statement. He said, every generation needs revival. Because every generation has its own Babylons to identify and to come out of. Every generation has its own Babylons. He did a great job of teaching the, the, the truth that's found in Revelation about how we need to come out of Babylon. What does that mean? It means that we've got to identify the Babylons in our life, our own life, and we need to repent from those Babylons and come out from those Babylons. And then Pastor Jeremy, uh, last week, he, with passion, preached about how Peter, he had, there, there was four Bs that he, he, he went through. The, the list was, started off with brokenness. And he said this statement, he said, there is no revival without personal repentance. 
personal repentance. Not, not, oh, God, I repent of the sins of others. Everybody else is so wicked. Please help our nation because we are wicked. No, no, no. Personal. God, I need repentance. I repent. You see, the theme that has been running through each sermon in this series is this. Personal repentance. Personal repentance. And I see this truth reiterated with Paul's message and letter to the Romans. And what's interesting about the book of Romans is it's a letter written by Paul to people that he had never met. I never really put the, put the two and two together, but Paul at this point had actually never been to Rome. What happened was there were some Jews who were saved at Pentecost. They, they came to Christ under Peter's preaching at Pentecost, and then they went back to Rome, and they started a church here in Rome, and Paul writes a letter to this church at Rome. And the church at Rome knows who Paul is. Paul's one of the most famous missionaries of all time. Everybody knew who Paul was. And I could see the Romans opening up the letter. They, they pull out the package from FedEx, and they, they, they open it up, and they're like, oh, man, guys, it's Paul, the Paul. He's writing us, our church, a letter. Guys, oh, man, bring everybody together. And I can see the church kind of getting together, and, 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 the, and they go, guys, okay, Here it is. And they start reading. And in the first chapter of Romans, Paul's basically just saying, look, I'm praying for you guys. That's amazing what you're doing in Rome. Man, God's working. And then he says, I'm praying for you and I'm excited to come visit you. He's like, I'm I'm so pumped. Guys, you don't realize how pumped I am. And he writes in this letter just basically as an introduction saying, I'm coming. And I cannot wait. And then he goes and he reads the, he, he writes one of the most famous passages of scripture, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And he's all pumped up and he's like, we're going to be unashamed together. And he gives, he gives them the clear gospel presentation right there. And Paul's all excited. And then he goes into verse 18. And it's kind of like a, wow, wait, wait, wait a minute. The church, I can see them reading it. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's like, wait a minute. Whoa, what, what just happened? What happened to Paul? And in verse 18, we're going to start off and it says this. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. It's like, whoa, you know, all these amazing things, good things. And then it's just like, wait, God's anger. Wait, wait he's, this, is a, this is pretty intense. Paul went dark on us here. And in verse 21, it says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they even to think up, excuse me, they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, remember this is Paul writing this letter. Paul says to the Romans, instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. And, and so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. And Paul's just in the letter saying, amen. He's amen in himself here. In verse 26, he says, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. 
And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty that they deserved. When I read this verse, I think about uh, kind of a more silly illustration with my son. Uh, my son, MJ's three. And if you know my son, he's a wild man. We call him the hypezoid man. He is crazy. And, and MJ, he was, we were eating tacos a while back. And my wife was, made some carnitas tacos. And, and uh, the, the, my son wanted the hot sauce. I said, son, you don't need the hot sauce. MJ, this is spicy. No, it's going to hurt you. You're going to cry. And MJ, you know, my son... Stubborn as he is and as ignorant as he is, he wanted the hot sauce because we put the hot sauce on our tacos. And so I said, you know what? He complained enough. He cried enough. I said, fine. Pour some hot sauce on there. A couple drops. Obviously, you know the rest of the story. He takes a bite of it, spits it out, starts waving at his mouth, tooth bitey, you know, and he goes crazy. And I'm like, well, you wanted it. And that's what God does here. God relieves them and he just says, look, Fine. Fine, I'm abandoning you to do whatever foolish thing you desire. That's such a dangerous place to be. Verse 28, since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do the things that should never be done. And then he lists all these sins. He says, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers. Haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent, new, they invent new ways of sinning. These people, oh my goodness, they invent ways to sin. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. And in verse 32, he says, They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like where we're at today in our country. We have a lot of sin running rampant in the country. And, and what's interesting is, remember, the, Romans, uh, the Roman church had been started by some Jews. And at the, in their culture at the time, the Jews had a lot of uh, traditions. They had a lot of standards. They had a lot of things that they looked down upon people and were kind of like, whoa, 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 that's, and I could see the church in Rome saying, amen, you know, you, you've heard the term, America's going to hell in a handbasket, and I could see the Romans saying the same thing, Rome is going to hell in a handbasket, but thank God we're here, thank God we're, we're okay, because we're being good, and they're, amen, and then Paul, he's like the king of twist, he just out of nowhere in chapter two, in verse one, He just puts it out there. And he says this. You may think you can condemn such people. But you are just as bad. And you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself for you who judge others do these very same things. Paul doesn't know these people from Adam. But he knows that everybody sins. 
And he says, obviously referencing to the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus spoke in Matthew 5 when Jesus is talking to the people and he's preaching in his last message to the people. And he, he's, he talks about, hey, look, yeah, yeah, you may have not committed murder, but wait a minute, if you have anger in your heart toward anybody, you're, you have murdered in your heart. Oh, you may have not committed adultery, but you have that lustful thought, oh, you've committed adultery in your heart. Oh, well, you, you, you know, you may, you, you may have taken, you may have carried the soldier's gear a great, a mile, and, well, you had a great attitude, but no, 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 carry it two miles. Oh, you may love, oh, but you, you're great at loving people. Wow, you love your neighbors, great, but you got to love your enemies. And Jesus and Paul are trying to get us to realize this one truth, that we all are in desperate need of Jesus. Number two, verse number two, it says, and we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Verse four, don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Don't you see it? Can you see God's patience with you? Can you see his love and his forgiveness towards you? Because some of us, including myself, have been blind to it. Oh, I don't need God's forgiveness as much as so-and-so. God didn't save me from prison and addiction or God didn't save me from no God saved us all from what we deserved and that's death and hell Pastor Scott mentioned this statement and it was super powerful it was a statement by Tim Keller and he said this revival occurs when those who think they already know the gospel they think they know it they discover they do not really or fully know it that's when revival happens so here's three personal examinations from 2 Chronicles 7.14 to experience personal revival. We want to experience this personal revival. Here's three personal examinations that we have to make, and we find them straight from the Bible in Chronicles 7.14. Let's read this first part of the verse. It says this. If my people, my people, not the, not the unsaved, not, not those who don't, my people who are called by my name, What does it say first there? Humble themselves. Here's the first question that I have for us today. And this is, man, I'm telling you right now, it's like a mirror is right in front of this pulpit and I can't see anybody. I'm preaching at myself more than anybody this morning. I am prideful, or excuse me, am I prideful in my view of myself and others? Am I prideful in my view of myself and others? Matthew 7, 1 through 3 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but to not notice the log that is in your own eye? And I, I thought about this statement that I'm about to say, and it's, it's something that I really prayed about, and I wanted to study Scripture and make sure that I didn't say any heresy out on the pulpit because I want to make sure that I take respect to this place and, 
And, I, and I, I think I can say this confidently. I believe that throughout Scripture I've looked at the life of Jesus. And I think I can say this statement confidently. And that is this. Time spent criticizing the lives of the unsaved is wasted time. It is time wasted. If we look at the life of Jesus, we see it over and over again. We see it when the Pharisees, the Pharisees bring the adulterous woman to Jesus. And they bring this woman and they say, Jesus... This woman has committed adultery. Just a wicked, wicked sin, Jesus. And for that sin, she deserves to be stoned. We need to kill her. Isn't that right, Jesus? And Jesus says, Well, read the line in the sand. He who is without sin cast the first stone. Jesus If you look at his life, he's not criticizing. You can't find it. He doesn't criticize people. In fact, the only people that he criticizes and gets angry and righteously angry at is the religious who think they're good enough. And when we constantly find ourselves criticizing, oh, I can't believe those people in the world. Mo, the message today was good. The people, man, they're wicked. That crowd over there. And Jesus is like, guys, <laughs> you've got it all wrong. It's like if I turned all the lights off, I was taking a recruit, um, a recruit for the basketball team and showing him the ca- campus yesterday morning. And I brought him in here and the lights were off. And, and as I walked in, uh, it's super dark in here if the lights are off. And I was walking up the stairs to turn the light on. And I tried to do it without the light on my phone. And I tripped like four times up the stairs. You know, I'm like killing myself trying to get to these lights. And it reminds me of, of the darkness that many people are in in this world. The lights are off. They don't have the light of the gospel. They don't have the son of God who's making and paving the way. They don't have that truth. And, and it's like getting mad at somebody for falling in the pitch black. I can't believe you trip. And you know what ends up happening to us? We're so busy looking. I can't believe that that person tripped. And I've seen it so often as we're busy looking up. And I see so many religious people I've seen pastors over and over again preaching, preaching, preaching. And I prayerfully hope to God and I pray to God that it's not me next week. Could be. Take heed lest ye fall. We're so busy looking at everybody else. Wow, can you believe those people? And we trip and we fall. We've got to see, we've got to understand this truth that we need God. We are not good enough. We need him desperately. The second thing we see is in 2 Chronicles 7.14, it says this, If my people who are called by my name, they first humble themselves. But the second thing he says is, and pray and seek my face. Here's the second question. Am I apathetic in my desire for revival? Am I apathetic in my desire for revival? James 4.17 says, remember, It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Do we know that we need to pray for revival? Yes, we just read it, right? And if you didn't, now you know. We need to pray for revival. Well, if we know we need to and we're not doing it, then we're sinning. The sin of apathy. The sin of apathy. It is... Most people think, well, I mean, I'm doing okay. I'm not doing these bad things. But the truth is, the sin of apathy is taking over the church. 
It has taken over church after church where we think we're okay and it's all everybody else's fault out there and we can't believe. And the truth is that the sin of apathy is destroying our country. It's destroying our country. It's destroying our homes. The world isn't going to hell because of evil people, guys. It's not going to hell because of evil people. The world is going to hell because of Christians watching and doing nothing about it. That's the truth. And it's a painful truth. Are you willing to live life without revival? Are you willing to do it? I've been willing to do it for 31 years. Just celebrated my birthday this month. 31 years I've been willing to live without revival. I can just honestly say that. Yeah, there's been times in my life where I've asked God, and I think there's been, I've experienced some of that. But, but to be honest with you, I've been so apathetic, it's just painful to think about. How often am I praying for revival? This last 21 days that our church has used this prayer and fasting time, and, and hopefully and prayerfully, many of you in here have, have done the same thing that, 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 that others have. And when I got hungry, in the, man, I, I'm one of those guys who like, you know, I, I, my, my, metabolism, my metabolism, excuse me, is super fast. I like, I eat, I like to eat a lot and like, you know, and when I, when I cut that out, my, my stomach was grumbling and I'm like, man, like, I just got to, I can't think about it. And during lunchtime, everybody's going to eat and I'm like, no, like I'm so hungry. And then I thought, God, would you allow me to have that same desire that I want for food, to have that for revival and for you? Please. I'm so apathetic. I'm apathetic. I'm just full of apathy. To desire revival and neglect prayer is an oxymoron. You can't say that you desire revival and not pray for it constantly. It's an oxymoron. And that's what I found in my life. Oh, I want revival, of course. Who, what Christian wouldn't want revival for the country? Well, how often are we praying for it? How often are we seeking God's face for it? When I was in college, it was my junior year of college, and uh, me and two of my friends, Aaron Corbin and Wes Bayer, we decided to just go on a missions trip to visit one of our missionaries at the time. He was from our church. His name is Chantha Chim. Some of you know him. He, had, he was a missionary in, in the country of Singapore. So me and my two friends, we decided to go visit Chantha in Singapore. And it was a neat experience, amazing. One of the neatest experiences I've ever been through. Just a totally different place. And we experienced a lot of amazing things. Got to preach in their chapels and do all kinds of really cool missions work. Well, after our missions work was over, we had like two more days to just kind of do something. And being the idiot that I am and idiots that we were, we were sitting in Chanta's apartment and we were just like, man, we're already on this side of the world. Let's just go somewhere. Let's just fly somewhere. And they were like, well, Mo, should we like tell Chanta? I was like, no, nah, it's, it's midnight. I was like, he's sleeping. Don't wake him up. Let's just go. And so we walked out, got a taxi and went to the airport and we go to the airport and we're like, okay, where do we go? And we looked and we were like, well, that flight's going to Bangkok, Thailand. Let's go. So we went. Didn't have a hotel, didn't speak the language. So I showed up. I'm having pr- tr- trouble understanding anybody. I'm like, well, we didn't think this one out through very well, but I know why I went now. So we go and we do a lot of neat things, but one of the things that I never really, and I still to this day haven't forgotten, and I, I have a picture of uh, the, one of the temples. There was these temples everywhere in Bangkok. 
And I know Scott, and uh, I, know, I know you've been there. You went and visited, right? You went and visited, good. Um, and you've seen probably some of these as well. These temples are everywhere. And the next picture that I took with my iPhone 2 or whatever it was back then uh, was a picture of a woman. And what you can't see in the picture is actually there was about 12 to 15 other people that were lined up and they were, they were lighting incense and they were praying to these dead gods. And so I, we went back to Singapore and I went and talked to Chanta and I was like, man, I was like, it was kind of crazy. Like, you know, I told him about my experience in the temples and it was, wasn't just this one. It was all, and he said, oh, Mo, he said, you'll be shocked. He said, look, 24-7 in most of the temples, there's going to be at least 10 to, to 12 to 15 people constantly reading scripture and praying to their gods. He said, they're religious about it. And I thought to myself, we, we believe in the one true living God and our prayer lives are terrible. These people are willing to pray and read scripture and they're reading and they're, they, want this, this, they want this for their lives, but, but how bad do I want what I, what revival? How bad do I want a relationship with God? How bad do I want it? You see, to desire revival and to neglect prayer, it's just an oxymoron. May this church, may gospelite become a church of prayer in this year of prayer. As we focus on it, I pray that, that dads, I pray that moms would become stronger prayer warriors for each other and for their kids. Do you want revival in your kids' lives? Oh, Mo, I want revival. I want my kids to do what's right. Do you? How often are you praying for it? Because I can tell you, mine has been pretty apathetic. Well, Mo, your kids are only six and three. Look, I got to start now. God, please be, send revival to my kids' lives. One of my prayer requests, we write, we write three, we just started writing three prayer requests for uh, uh, somebody, one of our staff, fellow staff members to pray for throughout the week. And one of my prayer requests was that Lainey would come to, to understand the gospel. How often have I prayed for that? Man, it's been, it's been trash. My prayer life has been garbage. And I understand that now, and I know that I need him, and I know that I want God to do something, and if I want it, I've got to pray more. I can't have a lack of prayer. Do you want revival in your kids' lives? Do you want revival in your home? Do you want revival in your marriage? Do you really? If you do, prayer is, is the number one recipe to have it. The last thing, Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Number three, last question we need to ask ourselves today. Number one, we said, hey, look, do we have pride in, we, in our view of ourselves and others? Number two, we said, are we apathetic in our desire for revival? And number three, am I hypocritical? Am I hypocritical in my lifestyle? Matthew 23, 27, and 28, you can see Jesus, and he, he, it's crazy. He goes off on these Pharisees often, these religious people who thought they were good enough. Oh, they obeyed the law. Oh, they obeyed the law to the T, but they were full of pride. He says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. 
But you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled with, on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, oh, you look like righteous people, but inwardly your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. Nothing hinders revival more than hypocritical Christians. You see, going to church doesn't make you, make, doesn't make you a, a, a Christian just as much as going to the gym makes you a bodybuilder. I go to the gym and work out, and I look around, and I see a lot of people. They, it's hilarious. They try to give me advice and stuff, and I'm like, man, look, I love you, but dude, I follow a lot of people on Instagram, and I watch their videos. Okay, I'm okay. And I think what happens is we go to church with the same attitude, and we say, well, you know, I go to church. I kind of do that. I give some. I serve some. I do. Oh, I'm good. Revival needs to happen, but good night. We need revival in other people's lives for revival to really happen because, I mean, obviously I'm okay. And we live this hypocritical lifestyle. Here's my closing thought today. It's high time the church stops looking out the window to blame the world and begin to look in the mirror to hold ourselves personally accountable for our part in revival. Quit looking out the window and saying, wow, look at how wicked these people are. Can you believe Hollywood? Can you believe these athletes? Can you believe how wicked all these people are in that group and the left and the liberals? And we all want to focus on everybody else. And can I tell you, I've been there. And God says, Mo, quit looking everywhere else and look in the mirror and say, you need revival, Mo. You need me. And if we will decide to, just, to quit looking out the window and blaming the world and look in the mirror and hold ourselves accountable, that's when we'll experience revival as not only in our homes, but in our church and then in our, in our city, in our state, our nation, and throughout the world. What's our part in revival, Mo? I mean, doesn't God do everything? We, we, we just saying, we fight, on our, we fight on our knees, guys. That's our part. Our part is we just read about it in St. Chronicles. It says we need to humble ourselves, then we seek God's face and pray, and then we turn from our wicked ways, and then God takes care of the rest. But you know what's interesting is the only way we can do those three things is with God's help. Well, what are you saying, Mo? You're saying we need to ask God to do everything? Yes! That's how we do it. We need to become a church of prayer. If we want revival, we've got to pray more. We've got to pray for our, our siblings. We've got to pray for our parents. We've got to pray for our kids. We've got to pray for our marriages. We've got to pray for our country. We've got to pray, pray more and say, God, we need you. We want you. Well, you don't understand, Mo. You just don't understand. Revival's supposed to happen with Pastor Capace first. He's the pastor of the church. And if Pastor Capace, if he would experience the revival first and it was him, then everybody else could finally get it. Come on, Pastor Capace. No, well, that's just not how it works. If you look throughout scripture, you see so many excuses that people could have used. And God says, I love, I love using people who are weak. Look here, you know, oh, look, at, look at the apostle Paul, for example. Apostle Paul, we read his letter today. We're still reading his letter thousands of years later. He, he wrote half the New Testament. Paul, just years before, was killing Christians. I've, dude, I've just done too many bad things, Mo. And I've been in prison. 
I've been an addiction. Well, God loves that because he knows he can use you if you'll just let him. Well, no, I'm just too young, man. You know, we're, we're, we're in the youth group. We're in the youth group, man. Oh, revival's for the older people and then we'll follow. Well, that's just not how it worked in Josiah's time because Josiah in the Bible was eight years old. Eight years old and he became a king of a country and he sent revival. God used Josiah to, to bring revival to the, the nation of Israel. He said, you know what? We're going to get rid of all these idols. He's eight years old and God used him. Well, I'm just too old. The youth at least have energy. Well, that's a terrible excuse too because God used Abraham in his, in his triple digits. Only person there is Miss Marion Harold in our church, right? And she can still be used just as much as the youngest person here. Well, Mo, I don't think you really understand, man. I'm too, I'm sick. I've got this illness and I, well, Lazarus was dead, okay? So no excuses, all right? Just stop the excuses. Well, I'm I'm just not a good speaker. Well, Moses, he had a speech impediment. Well, I'm just too impatient, Mo. I just can't deal with people. Well, Peter chopped off soldiers' ears and cursed God. And then guess what? He preached Pentecost and thousands were saved. The truth is, we want to make excuses for our personal revival because it's supposed to start somewhere else. Not me, Mo. I'm just a church member. I'm just a layman. I just work at a business in town. I work at McDonald's. I work at Walmart. You know what? I'm just a part of Gethsemane House. Mo, it can't start with me. It can't. I'm too young. I'm too old. One of my favorite verses in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. Shoo, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul's just saying to the Corinthians here, guess what? You're weak. I get it. Man, this is your first time in church in months. God can't use me. God can use you. It doesn't matter where you are in life. He wants you just to realize that you are weak and you need him. And as soon as that happens and you start asking God to use you, guess what? He's going to start. That's all that needs to happen. He doesn't need a whole bunch of spiritual people walking, looking good and thinking, oh, I'm okay. I, I, I serve. I give. I'm a, I'm a deacon. I'm a, I'm a this. I'm an elder. I'm this. He wants to see people who are weak and say, I need you, God. I need you. The most dangerous prayer you can pray is this. Use me. That's the most dangerous prayer you can pray is use me. Satan's scared, man. Satan's throwing all these excuses because guess what? As soon as gospel light, as soon as you personally find out this truth, it's over for him. We've been singing about it all morning. We know that God is the God of victory. He takes, he seeks beauty from ashes and Satan's scared because as soon as gospel light realizes that all we need to do is say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for my apathy. I need you. Please help me. Use me. As soon as we do that, God comes in and Satan's like, oh my goodness, I've lost. I've lost and God wants to use you today. God wants to use you. He wants to send revival. He wants to send revival in our homes. He wants to send revival in your life. And it's got to start there, dads. Are you willing to pray, use me? You know what? When you pray, use me, there's going to be some dangerous things happen. God's going to call you to do things that you don't want to do. He's going to call you to do things that you don't want to do. And when that happens, oh, it's dangerous. But guess what? It's going to be the best decision you've ever made. Just pray God use me. That's all I want. I just want you to just take me. I want you to just, just, I know I'm weak. I can't do anything without you. But as soon as you do that, he can use you. 
had uh, Bill Ella, Pastor Bill Ella, uh, Ella from Summit Church in Little Rock. He came and he preached our missions revival. And amazing, amazing, uh, amazing week. And he's written books on prayer. And we had our staff actually um, go to a meeting. And uh, dad brought him in and said, man, we're doing this year of prayer. We got, we got to start praying and, and, and increasing our prayer lives. And so he brought Bill in. And he came and spoke to us for two straight hours about prayer. I couldn't stop listening. And he said this thing that, that I, I, I'm, I've been really working on, and I'm not perfect at it by any means. But he told us, he said, guys, this thing, prayer without ceasing, is, is real. It's not impossible. Oh, you can't pray without ceasing. And here's what he said. He said, every room that I walk into, I pray and just say, God, would you use me? Would you use me? Be my words. Use my words. Be be in my actions. Show people's love. Show people, show people, show people your love. Help, Help, just use me. Help me be a conduit. Every room he walks into, whether it's Walmart, whether it's the gas station, whether it's the church house, whether it's home, God, use me. You know, as I've been going through life, man, I just, I'm pitiful. I've been going through life just so apathetic. Just like the song we sang to him, we sang, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I just, I've been so apathetic. And I've been trying to coach, I've been trying to teach, I've been trying to be a youth pastor, I've been trying to be a dad and a husband, and I'm not praying and I think I've got it all together, man. I'm good. Man, I'm good. I know my sports. I know what my plays. I know everything. I know how to be a dad, man. I know how to do this. I know how to teach. I've got an education. And God's like, man, it's going to be hard to use that. Hard to use that. But as soon as I realize, God, I need you, when I go into practice, I say, God, please, just use me. Use me. Allow your love to be shown through me. Help me to be a positive influence. Help me to just love on guys. Help me to be, when I go into my classroom, help me to teach with a passion. Help me to to, to share your love with others. When I go to Walmart, when I go in my house and I'm done with my job and I'm tired, I say, God, please give me the energy to go in there and show love to my kids. Help them to know that I love them and that you love them. Help me to be a husband that I need to be to my wife. Use me, please. I challenge you today, but we're about to sing a song, God of Revival, and, and we're going to say, uh, awaken your people, God. Awaken your city. God of Revival, pour it out, pour it out. I'm going to encourage you as we sing that song, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to come up to the, the altar. Man, pray with me. Pray with, pray with somebody up here. Pray and just say, God, use me. I want revival in my life. I don't care about right now. I don't care about the country. Right now, I want it in my life. I want it in my home. Dads, dads, pray. Dads, you got to want it. You got to want it for your kids. Don't say you want it. Pray. Pray. Don't say you want it. Pray. Lord, send a revival. And let it begin with me. Let it begin with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Everything I set up here is just nothing. It's nothing. It's, it's all a bunch of wasted words without your word. 
We thank you for your truth. We thank you that we have the opportunity to know and believe that this is your word. It's inspired. And we ask that you would use the powerful words of your, your word. And we pray that you would allow that to work in our lives. I thank you for prayer. I thank you for your son Jesus being our intercessor. I thank you for allowing us to have that person to go into the throne room and know that we can go with boldness. We thank you for that. Please help us to be bold. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us to see revival in our houses, in our homes. Please help us to see revival in our youth group. Help us to see revival in all of our small groups, whether they're old or young. Help us to see revival in our our marriages. We want it. We need it. We need you desperately. Use us. Allow revival to start right here in Hot Springs. We don't want revival to start in Los Angeles. We don't want it to re- revival to start in, in, in Bangkok, Thailand. We don't want it to start anywhere but here. We want to be used by you. It starts in Hot Springs. It starts in our homes. Please, God, send revival and let it begin with us. In Jesus' name I pray.